This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Exy. Exy Sands. Um, Exy, you're saying, is a family name? It is. It is a family name. It was my great-grandmother's name. And there's more than one of us right now in my family. I have a cousin who's 12 years younger than me, also named Exy. That is fascinating. <laughs> I don't, I've, never, I've never heard that. Is it, it, can you find other ones, like on the Internet? Have you done searches? I've never found anyone else. Uh, I have seen it as a nickname, and we have great debate in our family about where it comes from, what the etymology is. Um, it, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, as older relatives pass on, it's harder and harder to unravel the mystery. So. You can make up your own story. We though, do just right? make up our own stories. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, I I think when I first saw your name, I thought it was uh, short for Xenon. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you that in high school, when we got to the chem unit, oh, yeah, okay. that was an unfortunate it, 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 moment because everyone sorry. got to call. No, it's okay. Everyone got to call me a rare poisonous gas for quite a uh, long time. <laughs> noble gas, though, a noble gas. <laughs> a noble gas. It's okay. I've grown beyond it. It's fine. That's cool. So, so people, you know, I guess your your parents said, you know, let's honor this tradition and name name her after someone in the family who had this name before. Who who had your name before? My great grandmother. Great grandmother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My my sister is named after my great grandmother as well. So, I guess that's a good tradition. <laughs> Are you going to name your grand? Oh wait, you don't get to name your great grandchildren. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have a teenager, and I'm thinking grandchildren better be very far away. Um, but she was named after family members, but not this one. Okay. Well, I I think that's a pretty uh, it's a pretty unique name, and I've seen I I've talked to other people, and when we've talked about you, nobody has this pronunciation right exactly. Except <laughs> no, I guess you. Except me. <laughs> that's fine. So uh, beyond your name, we're here to talk about uh, a new project that's starting up mm-hmm. for June that is under the Going Public label. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep, it is. It is an offshoot of the Going Public project. Yeah, and that's your ongoing, basically, recordings of public domain poems and stories and other things. And you, you've sucked all sorts of other narrators into your vortex, right? There are several that participate every week, and then occasionally we'll get sort of a little burst and, and new folks will join us. Um, sometimes it's professional narrators. Most of the time it's other professional narrators. But I do have one lovely woman who participates, and she's just a person who loves poetry. And she records, um, we have a mutual British author friend and she often records his wonderful poetry and, and posts it. So I love it. I love that, that it, because it doesn't have to just be professional narrators. I, when I started it, it was to give anybody a chance to do this if they want to and post to the project. And you've got, uh, you were saying you have a particular fondness for D.H. Lawrence. I do have a particular, I have a love-hate relationship with David Herbert. I have, I have since college. How could Does you have you know any, about this? No. I don't know. He's dead, so he doesn't get to I know. So I have a, a very dear friend who's since passed on, He who was part of the inspiration for going public. He used to tease me about my complete obsession with D.H. Lawrence. But it is there. I love his poetry, and 
Every year for Band Books Week, I always do a, a little snippet, the same snippet of Lady Chatterley's Lover. So yeah, you were saying you were saying you like to re-record, and sometimes I, I not often, but sometimes. But you you want to, even if you don't do it, right? Often, I if I listen to something I've done quite a long time oh, after, oh, then it's like, oh, I can't stand it. I wish I could re-record that. <laughs> yeah, because you recorded the yellow wallpaper, and and then you said you re-recorded it recently. I did. I re-recorded it for this project because we decided, you know, it would be all stories in the public domain, of course, for this project, and and not some of the other things that we do for going public are. Anything that's licensed to be a Creative Commons licensing or that the author has given us direct permission to do, like like Peter Davies' work or like Little Fiction's work, which is copywritten, but they offer it for free and they allow me to record it and post it. And nice. um, But for this project, for Going Public in Shorts for June, it, it needed to be completely public domain with no question. So for that one, I thought, God, there's just this story. I love the yellow wallpaper. I love it. And I think I want to re-recorded and also add the commentary that Charlotte Perkins Gilman offered about why she wrote it. So that's what I chose to do this year. But it is rare. I usually won't re-record a piece unless I've forgotten that I've recorded it, which happened a couple <laughs> weeks ago. And I yeah. sat down to record it. It was like, yeah, I have a piece in mind. And then I looked and went, oh, I already posted that. What am I thinking? <laughs> so I couldn't do it. It's it's. I think, you know, it's fun to reread a uh, a well-loved you know, story, and you find new things in it, I think, every time. Oh, yeah, you do. And it's a deep, deep story like the yellow wallpaper. I mean, that's one of the reasons that people are still reading that story is it's it's so incredibly deep, right? It is, and it, I think it it's a first-person piece, um, which is my particular passion is first-person narration. That's what I love. And it's it has many layers to it, depending on where you're at in your own life and, and how you're reading it and, um, you know, whose side you might be on in the story and what you think is happening and why it's happening. And it's a very interesting piece. And I sort of felt I was listening to the two versions when I was preparing it this time, just a few weeks ago, and I was amazed at how my choices were different. I mean, choices as if they happen consciously. They don't <laughs> usually happen consciously, but different ways that I connected with the text. That was an interesting experience. I like I like I like what you were saying there about you know whose side you're on. You actually do change sides in the story. It's at some point you're you know she's right, and then wait a second she's 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 off the deep end here. Well, and what I come to is that she's right, and then she's off the deep end, but she's still right. So she's. You know, she's she's, she's right in a, di- in a in different, different way than she thinks she right, is. That's right, that's exactly right. You know, she's still correct that their their treatment was not the right one. <laughs> so it's just that by the end she no longer minds, which is the shame. So yeah. you know, although she's at peace, I guess by the end she could say. Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. It's it's a great story because you 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 know you can in, you can interpret it so many mm-hmm. ways. And uh, and even even after reading, you know, you said you you added in the why mm-hmm. I wrote the yellow wallpaper. Um, even after reading that, you still say, well, yes, but that's what you say. <laughs> what, what is your underlying motivation? I mean, well, I mean, I, I like that she wrote that because it's an oh, auto, it's, it's an autobiographical story. So to a certain extent, as she said, mm-hmm. she never you know, she never went completely berserk and crawled around or had an obsession with the yellow wallpaper, but. It, most of it comes from her actual experience being diagnosed the same way and recommended and treated the same way. And I think she, I think that reading that helps because it, it, it gives you this sense of how real that 
that is and how real that kind of treatment is and how how common that was, especially for women at that time to be treated that way and how disastrous that could be for somebody. What what, what do you think about her novel, um, Her Land? Have you? I have not read, read it. it. Mm-mm. I did look okay. into it for this, but obviously it was way too long to it's be able to big. do for it's a short big. story. Right? It's interesting. It's interesting piece um, because it it is um, it's it's kind of unwieldy in a couple of spots, but once it gets cooking, it's pretty great. Um, it's and it is a real proper sized novel, so uh, it I, I would just think it should get an audiobook release on Audible or Downpour or something like that. Um, but that is not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> So you you've got this project uh, going going public in shorts. Is that what That's we're calling? Correct. Yep. Okay, and we're going to be participating in this uh, by doing a story by uh, Edgar Allan Poe called "The Pit and the Pendulum," which is a story I thought I hadn't read, and then of course I realized <laughs> yes, I read this. Yes, I think every, it's like almost an osmosis thing. Everybody just it knows. is. I mean, everybody thinks they know the story, and then. They read it and then they forget it and then they That's remember right. it when they reread it again because it's so about the mood, that story. It is. It's absolutely all about the mood. I mean, there's very little – I mean, I, I don't want to say there's little happening. Of course there's a lot happening, but it's mostly his psychological process it's, as he's been tortured. It's the process of you know, suspense. That's right. I mean, literally suspense. And it's a, he, he is a bit – that particular story can get a little – Heavy on the description because you're entirely in the character's all head, description. right? And so I think it, it's good that um, Paul Michael Garcia, who's narrating that story for the collection, did a wonderful job of of really kind of keeping the listener in the present with him and not letting it just drift into sort of background description, which is so important in this. You have to keep that mood built and that suspense tense because you're living it with the narrator as he's living through it. So uh, that's only one of how many how many stories are going to be in the collection? There are 38 pieces. Uh 38. 36 wow. of them are uh fictional short stories and of varying lengths from like 2 minutes up to about oh just over an hour and 40 minutes I think. Wow. And um there are two pieces. One is an essay from a wildlife in a southern county which is uh, sort of a naturalist essay piece it's a lovely piece done by Simon Vance and the other nice. the other is Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address which is wonderfully performed by Dion Graham I'm thrilled that he did it and he did it in a way that it it sort of has this um reverberating quality so as if you are standing and listening to it reverberating back to you through Okay, they wouldn't have had loudspeakers in Lincoln's time, but I think you understand what I'm yeah. getting at. Instead of just doing it as a straight read, it really comes across as a presentation piece. And it's very timely. At the time, you know, the, the message at the time is very similar to messages that we still need today. So it was wonderful that he did it. It was kind of a, a risk to take to do that kind of piece, but I wanted to be able to include it. So that's what we did. And so uh, we're going to be seeing these uh, spread throughout blogs all over the Internet. Is that right? That's right. One one to two a day, depending on the day. But for the most part, one per day, it'll appear on our going public blog. And it will also appear on almost all stories except one will appear also on an external blog like yours or like any of the other blogs that are hosting. We are very thankful for our blogging partners. You guys have all been very generous in offering support and promoting this. So thank you. 
Yeah, and it's uh, it's going to end up as a, a Blackstone audiobook afterwards, I guess, or is it simultaneous? Is it so? What they're trying to do is release the stories individually for down for download on Downpour, mm-hmm. and then they'll also as they release live time, and then they will also release on the last day of the collection, the last day of June, excuse me, on June thirtieth, they'll release the whole collection. And also via downpour. And we should, as the blogs are happening, we're hoping to have the links up for the downpour downloads as we go, but it, it's a little tricky. So hopefully we'll have all those links right. This is the now. first time it's happened. You know, right. Probably that means there's going to be a second time, but it's, I, I know there are other people who are, who are interested in participating and you do have more stories than there is in a month. Oh, so. goodness. Yes, we do. We have more stories. We, the initial group that we formed, um, had, just under 40 people in it, and then we sort of capped it and moved forward from that point because it was getting a little unruly. So, But that was back in the fall when we first started talking about this. This is a little bit more of a low-key project, and then it sort of kept growing until it grew into what it currently is, which is well, it's, it's exciting. popular. Very, very popular. <laughs> it's very exciting. It's it's so amazing to think of a, a small idea to give back to listeners, which is what I was thinking after last June. And just wanting a way to do that and how it grows into something very anticipated and all people are just thrilled about participating in it. And I've been blown away by the support. I just I, I'm continually awed by that people would give their time for this, that bloggers would offer space for this, that Blackstone would partner with us for this. I'm just I'm verklempt. I'm verklempt. <sighs> So uh, I, I don't know if I've heard you in an uh, you're, you're a regular audiobook narrator yes. though I I I've seen your you on Twitter I think and oh, I've heard you're going public but I don't know if I've heard uh, an actual audiobook by you so what what why is it I haven't seen your audiobooks in my iPod Well well what genres do you listen to generally Science fiction and fantasy, mostly. That's kind of what I figured. That would explain why you have not seen me. <laughs> because, uh-huh. because I narrate I just, just sort of the way it has worked out, not by choice necessarily, but um, I narrate predominantly literary fiction and general fiction and romance. It's, it's sort of those two extremes. There doesn't seem to be a lot in the middle. Occasionally I'll get something in the middle, some nonfiction thrown in here and there, sort of self-help books more or less. But for the most part, it's those two things, and they're very, very different. Um, but neither of them are probably things you would normally look for in your iPod. So. <laughs> I gotcha. That I'm just looking life. at the, the... I did a search on Audible, and yeah, there's a lot of men and women with shirt, shirts, <laughs> uh, shirts being taken off beefcake, or already off. Beefcake. Yes. Yeah. There's lots of beefcake. Um I have just grown to adore the romance novels that I narrate because they're a great, very melodramatic, emotional journey, which is very satisfying as a narrator because you get to live that with them. And um, but I love literary fiction. That's sort of my that's my great love of narration is is doing the strange, obscure stories like Magnificence or The Vanishers or other things like that. Things that stories that you just let wash over you because you really have no idea what they mean. <laughs> you did. Uh, I'm looking at the literary section, I guess, is uh, our classics. It said you did the Bostonians, the Henry James. Oh, that's true. The um, I did do one classic. That was probably, gosh, my second audiobook ever, I think, oh, was really? the Bostonians. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Henry James, not that I've read very much, but um, that one I, is I a think little, he's a great writer. He is a great writer. That one is... Um, 
that is a commitment. That is how I will put that. 17 hours is, is <laughs> long for today. For a even. historical commentary, you know, where he's making sort of a very, very long-winded historical commentary of, on gender roles and whatnot at that time period. But uh, it does say you've done um, some science fiction fantasy anyways. It um, does. It says sci-fi fantasy 22. Now, what? are those paranormal romance? I don't know. I'm going to call it the a Nightwalker series. Is that is that's that paranormal romance? If that's okay. how they're classifying it, I do understand if they're they're thinking science fiction in terms of alternate realities or, or urban yeah. fantasy. Um, probably the closest thing, if you wanted to find something of mine that would be more accessible, the almost pure urban fantasy one that I did is called. It's the Dreg City series, and it was Three Days to Dead was the first one. And it was a great series. It's so much fun to do. Uber violent, lots of gore. Um, alternate reality, you know, you're sort of set in this, our time, our current type of cities, but with gargoyles and, you know, vampires and all kinds of bad beasties out to get humanity while they're not paying attention. And that one doesn't, it has a romantic current in terms of that there are two main characters who have an emotional connection, but it's not a romance. It's classified more as urban fantasy. And you're doing uh, a Hexes and Hemlines series. Oh, those are so fun. Those are cozy mysteries. Those are cozy cozy mysteries. They're absolutely a blast to do. Um, They're very funny. They do have romance currents in them, but they're predominantly an urban fantasy. But uh, the genre, I think, is is more the cozy mystery genre. Mm -hmm. Um, They're set in San Francisco, which is where my heart will always be. And so it's so much fun to do them. The author does extensive research and the places are largely real. And so it's so fun to narrate those because I can just think back to when I lived there. <laughs> so you're not uh, in San Francisco now. Where are you located? I'm up now? in the Pacific Northwest. We uh, moved up here about or- Oregon or Washington. Washington. Okay. Same time zone as me. Yes. Yes. All right. So hexes and hemlines. I think it's just <laughs> those are so. <laughs> the covers fun. are great. The covers but... are great. She's a, a witch from Texas, and she lives in San Francisco now. And no matter how much she tries, bad things keep happening around her. So she has so to keep the teenage witch who's out of high school and solving mysteries. Kind of. She's more serious. Right? She has more of a tragic backstory than that, but. Well, there's a pig on one cover. Yeah, I mean, the pig is her like... familiar. He's actually looks like a cross between a goblin and a gargoyle. But when other people see him, he's a pig oh. because she's allergic to cats. <laughs> so, so she has a pig, and and he is probably the fan favorite. Everybody loves Oscar. He's hilarious. He's a lot of fun to voice too. That's fun. Uh, so I'm looking at fiction. I guess is you were saying literary fiction. Now I, I've never really understood this genre. It, literary fiction is like. Modern stories, not, not. I, I don't understand. It. Yeah, I was. We were trying to describe this the other day, just a couple of us to ourselves. Modern stories, is that right? I don't know how I would describe literary fiction versus general fiction. Um, I don't know. I think to me, it's more. Uh, if you were to cruise over to W. W. Norton and look up pretty much any bit of fiction, it seems like it's all literary fiction. <laughs> just to, yeah. Uh, General fiction, if, to me, part of the difference is in literary fiction, not a lot happens. It reminds me a lot of Chekhov. You know, it's mm. it's mostly you're in the characters' heads. There's not a lot of 
action suspense plot development. That's not the important part. It's sort of a, a more of an inner journey to me. This is purely my opinion. No, that's right. And so that's not for everybody. That can be very slow paced. It doesn't feel like anything's happening sometimes in literary fiction. It, the stories don't always wind up. They don't always have a beginning and end per se. They don't always make sense on a logical level because you're sort of, you know, life doesn't make sense on a logical level for a lot of people. General fiction has a much more, you know, you've got a plot and you've got there's movement and there's going to, in theory, be resolution. And I think that that is much more accessible for more people. And I like them both. It just depends. I mean, I love narrating them both. Literary fiction is probably the hardest for me to narrate because, you know, when somebody, when it's very descriptive and it's third person, that can get a little challenging for a narrator, depending on what your strengths are. Not a lot of literary fiction that's first person. So. Uh, you've done a little bit of nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, there's a self-help, but I, the one that struck me here, I'm just surfing around, Digital Divide, oh. Writing Sporn <laughs> Against Facebook, YouTube, Texting, and the Age of Social Networking. Yes. So, uh, what do you think? I think that that book was very timely before it came out on audio. I think the problem is it's it, by the time it came out, it was, um, you know, how fast technology moves. Sure. So by the time it came out, I mean, there's still references in there to things that we now scoff at, like MySpace and other things like that. Right. I okay. think that that book would be great to be rewritten now, to be revised and released now with the current technology and talking about Twitter and Pinterest and podcasts and all that thrown in there would be much. Absolutely be more, changing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be it would be better served if he were to revise it. I think it came. I, want, I don't remember when the print copy came out, but it wasn't. It wasn't as recent as right now. I, I think no. You, you're an interesting person to talk to, though. We were talking before about. I mean, about this issue, sort of how the internet works, because we were talking about how YouTube worked and social uh, SoundCloud and all this. <laughs> there you go. All the social networking stuff that's happening. Um, it's it's always changing. It's it's changing very rapidly and everybody interacts with the internet in a certain way that's different from everybody else. Very but so. there seems to be that culture. Like what, what is the culture of SoundCloud like? That's what you've been using right, to do your releases of uh, going public, right? I think that my impressions of SoundCloud as a community are probably very different from what SoundCloud's really geared towards, and that's um, sort of sharing of music. They do spoken word, tons of spoken word on there, too. But I think when I see someone with musical tracks on there, I think they probably have quite a healthy commentary and whatnot happening because there's just so many people listening, and it's a very organic-feeling place. Mm-hmm. Um, and on my pieces, it's a tiny, tiny audience compared to someone who's releasing a music track, you know, worldwide. Um, but it's still lovely to that we can connect on there. You can make comments on there. You can start discussions on there. Not like a bulletin board. <laughs> Obviously, dating myself using that expression. <laughs> that, that's that's the first of it, right? I that mean, that's, was the first of it. That my was the daughter, first of everything. I know. Right? My daughter has no idea what a bulletin board is except for a cork board. And I'm like, yeah, I can't explain it to you. So, um, but SoundCloud feels, in terms of this kind of sharing, it it really does have sort of this organic, very very accessible feel to it. They try to make it very user-friendly. 
you have to think of it in terms of like Facebook or Tumblr or something where you have a feed or Twitter, you can see mm-hmm. anything. If you're following people, you see what they're posting. You can listen to their tracks and comment on them. You can share them. They make sharing so simple as long as you allow it. Tweeting and You can tweet it. You can Facebook stuff. it or Tumblr it or whatever. Um, you can do all that with it. So I chose SoundCloud because at the time, um, I, I now pay for the service because I have too much content on there. <laughs> <laughs> too many minutes. But it, you can have, I think it's up to two hours for free. You can, you know, put your files up and share them so easily. It's a great way to share with your clients. If you, you know, if you have clients, it's a great way to share with the public. You can tweet it. It's a, sometimes I'll just record some goofy little, <laughs> some outtake or I'll post an outtake. And it's just a nice way to connect with listeners that way and, you know, say, here's what happens when you start laughing and you can't possibly get through a line, you know, and you can post that. Or here's what happens when a spider lands on you and you're trying to record a love scene, which <laughs> did happen. And I'm phobic. So that was, the, that one is a lot of fun. That hilarious. It, it was hilarious after, not during. It was hilarious after. <laughs> and I didn't swear. That's the key with outtakes. You have to try to find ones where you don't curse. Harder than you'd think. Um, you're you're big on Twitter too. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I don't know if that's where I first spotted you, but maybe I um, think that's yeah. where I first found you as well. Maybe. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's interesting. It's sort of hard to recall these things, but um, yeah, you're you're tweeting a lot, and you've got a lot of followers. You're following a lot of people. I I think Twitter's pretty cool as well. It's sort of like you can mold it to the way you you know, what you're interested in. So, you know, you'll find interesting people and then you say, oh, look, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, you can see what they're, what they retweet is, you know, sort of what they're interested in. And then you find new things and it sort of ever shaping towards, uh, you know, some different directions. It's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. It it is intimidating, I think, when people first start using it because I, I have people ask me all the time, how do you start? And I said, yeah, it's terrifying. You get on there and you think, I don't know what to do with any of that, but the what I tell people is that the easiest thing to do is to, to filter out pretty much everything and just start with something you love: poetry, uh, hamburgers, mm-hmm. whatever. You know, it could be anything. Well, it seems to be, you know, the key is coffee. I oh, see you could do coffee. Your, you know, you, coffee is sort of a uniting theme. On, I think it, on coffee is a uniting theme everywhere. It's the it seems, it seems that people. Way. So you can put something in, and then you can you can see what people are saying about it. You can try to jump into a couple of conversations, see if people respond. You know, I mean, just sort of. You don't have to start out by saying anything yourself. That's what I found was intimidating for me, and is intimidating for a lot of other people. Is I don't know what to say. I don't feel like I have anything interesting to say. And I said, well, you don't have to say anything. You can just sort of read and follow. And when you feel inspired to say something, not because you think you want people to notice, because you feel like you want to say it, then you say it. And mm-hmm. you know that's you just start. You just have to be genuine and use it the way that you would normally talk, the way that you would normally be. You don't sound nearly as shy as as you said you would be, but <laughs> that's because um, you got me talking, and it's easy to forget that you have a little record button going over there. Oh, forget about that. <laughs> uh, well, you ask easy questions, you get me talking. Oh, and I've okay. had too much coffee and no food, so that works in your favor. Yeah, that's good. I've, I've got some right now. It's quite nice. With a little <laughs> cinnamon stick in. Yum yum. Um, so we're call is it? Uh, it's called Going Public in Shorts. Mm-hmm. It's going to be airing throughout the month of June right. 2013. And then it's going to be an audiobook. That's right. And 
Um, and then what's your next project? What are you working on as an audiobook right now? Oh, gosh, I'm working on three right now. I, I try not to work on multiple ones at once, but I don't mean I'm recording them all at the same time. They're back to back. You've um, got to do the pre-reading, right? Yeah, you do the pre-reading, and then you need to talk to either the author or the publisher, depending on what the protocol is, about any pronunciations or questions you've got that might help you approach the actual recording of the book. Um, after a long hiatus from romance, it just worked out that way. I did a whole bunch of general and literary fiction in the spring. Now it is pretty much 24-7 romance through June. Ah. <laughs> it just is, and that's actually kind of fun. I was starting to miss it. Um, I just... I just finished a second in a series, um, an urban fantasy series set here in Seattle, an alternate version of Seattle, post-apocalyptic slash dystopian. Not that they can really coexist, but they do. In who's, this book. who's the uh, author on that? That's Kira Brady. And she lives here. And so it's a lot of fun to read her book because the local chocolate factory became the dragon's lair. It's like, oh, I've been at that chocolate factory. <laughs> so that was a lot of fun to record. Um, then I just finished you were mentioning the witchcraft mystery series i just finished recording tarnished and torn which is book five in that series with oscar the pig the familiar so that was Mm -hmm. quite a bit of fun and i'm just about to start recording the cursed which is the first book by Alyssa day in the league of the black swan which is she's does such a fabulous job of combining so much humor Without it being sort of forced on you, but a ton of humor with the paranormal urban fantasy romance angle. I, I love reading her stuff, so it's nice to work with her again. Um, so uh, we'll we'll see this uh, coming up in June. Mm-hmm. I think uh, ours is coming up on the tenth. Is that yep, right? Yeah, I is believe the- it's on June tenth. And one thing okay. for folks to know about it is. They can listen online for free. For for Paul's story that's coming up on the 10th, they'll be able to listen online for longer than that because it'll be in your feed. But the project is also designed, it's designed as a thank you to listeners, but it's also designed as a fundraiser for Reach Out and Read, which is a really innovative children's literacy advocacy group. And they do all kinds of fascinating programs to sort of encourage literacy, especially in younger and, and um, underprivileged kids. So we decided that would be a, a good focus for the fundraising effort part. So to that end, they can download stories. Listeners can download stories or the whole collection via downpour for a fee, of course, and all proceeds are going to reach out and read. That's great. Yeah. So can you name, just off the top of your head, some of the narrators who are doing these? Because uh, you mentioned a couple. We've got Paul Michael Garcia or uh, Paul Garcia. I can't tell which which uh, which name they decide to use when they put them up. There's, you mentioned Simon Vance. Mm-hmm. There's you, Axie Sands. There's Dion Graham who's joining okay, us. There, Cassandra Campbell is joining us. Okay. We've got, um, oh gosh, there's just so many, Dick Hill. Dick Hill, wow, he's old school. He is, and uh, he came in with a great recording of Twain, which is fabulous. Oh, nice. <laughs> Luke Daniels, who you might know from the Iron Druid series, if you do it. I think he did, uh, I think he might have done a Philip K. Dick, too. He might have, I'm sure he might have. He, I know him mostly through Kevin Hearn and, and have met him, and Luke is just a delightful, fabulous guy. He's doing a fairy tale, and it is the most hilarious recording of a frog that I've ever heard in my life. I loved it. Cool. <laughs> I laughed all the way through. It was fabulous. Um, Patrick Lawler is joining us. Well, I like him, too. Yeah, man. he's doing... He's got a great voice. He does, and he does a fabulous 
fabulous reading of The Lottery Ticket by Anton Chekhov. I've never enjoyed Chekhov until I listened to him, and I just loved it. It was great. Um, I got to listen to all the stories before, so that was <laughs> a perk of being executive producer. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of hesitant to choose only one, but I guess <laughs> I, I went with a Poe that I thought I hadn't read, but I read it. <laughs> but I so. think that, you know, I think it's great that you chose that one. It's perfect. For it sounds great. And I so. think there's, there aren't that many sci-fi or fantasy stories in the collection. So that one was a good choice. We'll add some more for next year. Right? Yeah, we might next year. If I, if I, you know, forget all the coordination effort that it took to do this and do it again, which I would love to do. I would love to do. If we do this again, my intent next year would be to focus entirely on current and new authors uh, because I do a lot of work with little fiction. I absolutely love them and they feature emerging authors. And although the work is copywritten, they do offer it for free online. And that's sort of my requirement with going public. So this year, we didn't have time to deal with rights issues and all of that. But next year, if we can do it, I would love to do pieces from current authors and feature okay. those as short stories, too. Um, not just little fiction, obviously, other people. Several narrators have connections to authors they often record for, and they had wanted to do special pieces with them. And we didn't do that this time. But next time, that would be a really interesting idea. Well, it looks like uh, Little Fiction likes you, too, because there's a <laughs> big story on there that says Exy Sands plus Amanda Leduc equals <laughs> awesome. <laughs> they are lovely, and I feel very honored that they asked me to work on that. That is one of their authors that has now actually just published her first real novel. I don't want to say real novel. That was tacky. Her first, you know, commercial novel as opposed to short stories published. And um, it's a wonderful novel. I would classify it as literary. Uh, the Miracles of Ordinary Men? Mm-hmm. Is that? Okay. Gonna download that right now. <laughs> and we did. There's. It's two stories that are sort of moving through time toward each other, and so we two separate storylines that then converge. And so we did a recording from each of their stories. You can't tell how they intersect at that point. That would give too much away. But it does give you a feel for the two separate main characters. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.